0: Good morning. It's great to share with you in the study of God's Word and uh, also to keep in mind that we're part of a fellowship around the world where people are lifting up their praise and worship and listening to God as we are uh, hour by hour. So we're part of that global wave, just as in a stadium, we often see a wave going around the stadium. Also, uh, I want to comment that Christmas time is an excellent time to bring resolution to relational things. I found over the years that there's an extra grace and a sensitivity to actually resolve things at this time of the year, even as they might come into the forefront. So let's look at how we can do that. And look at how one of the things we might be dealing with is a bondage from a previous generation. healing our soul our soul is that aspect of us that connects with our world relates to other people relates to god it's our image our identity our sense of significance our sense of security those elements that are so important to us when our soul is wounded it affects all of our relationships David begins something that's important for us as we think of the meaning of generations. Let's declare this truth together, and we'll do this throughout our time of study. Uh, When we say the word of God, it helps us to more fully receive the word of God. Together, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. He always stands by his covenant. The commitment he made to a thousand generations. In the Bible, often the word thousands is used symbolically. It's not simply a compilation of 997, 998, 999, a thousand. Rather, it's the idea of a thousand, meaning every, all generations. And so that's what we have in the essence here, what we can praise God for all generations. So this gives us confidence as we look at restoring any brokenness in our lives. And this was expressed in Lamentations. In looking at the difficulties of life, the prophet put it this way. Let's declare it together. But Lord, you remain the same forever. Your throne continues from generation to generation. So we have that confidence that regardless of what we're dealing with, God is faithful to his covenant and he is faithful and able to do so. Well, God has chosen not only to be over all things, but to actually dwell within us. So Christ has come to dwell in our hearts, and let's celebrate this truth. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Notice, faithfulness, glory, or honor, and that that is shown to us through Christ. Christ dwelling in our hearts, making his home in our hearts, the idea there is he tabernacled, or he set up a worship center in our hearts. He's dwelling and abiding there. So that brings us the very life and strength and eternal quality of his life to work within us. So, What does this mean, together? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The thought there of a new life is the idea of a new kind of life, a new species of life. So if there were 23 different kinds of dogs in the world, a new species would be a new kind of dog. Maybe a pit bull joined with a poodle and see what happens. So the thought here is that it's a different kind of life that is unfolding within us. That means it helps us to understand when I've given my life to Christ, I've yielded to him, he's made so much of a difference, and yet I still am dealing with some old things, This is why there's an unfolding of the new species, the new kind of life in us that will eventually displace the old. Let's see how we can deal with some of the old things. Sometimes there are things that continue to plague us or limit us or discourage us or that we feel in bondage to. Let's look at some of those indicators of that. I have asked for forgiveness, promised I would never do it again, yet I still keep falling short. Uh, This is often an indication of some type of addiction because uh, people will say, I'll never do that again. Well, that's a pretty sure uh, indication that um, we're depending on our own strength and we really haven't addressed the heart depth of the issue. So this would be a, uh, a reason for us to look at, I wonder why I can't overcome this. Another, as her counselor, I know the advice and the course of action I gave her is wise and has helped many others, yet, She reports it doesn't work for her. I've experienced this uh, numerous times as a counselor. And people may, it may not work for them because there's something else that we're not in touch with, or maybe there's a deeper need that they are seeking to fulfill, and it's helpful to continue having the problem we're looking at. But this is a simple, this is a signal. This could be coming from a previous generation. He makes a pretty strong judgment against his parents, but he acts just like them. You know, the principle of God's kingdom is sowing and reaping. So whatever we sow, whatsoever you sow, you will reap. So if we're sowing judgments about those who have wronged or hurt us, we will have a tendency to begin doing the same thing that we judge them for. Some additional ones. It is hard to believe he acts this way when he has such fine parents. He does seem to be more like his grandmother and somewhat like his uncle too. So this would be a tip that, in this case, there may be something passing from one generation to the next, and it skips over one particular generation because, as we've, uh, we'll have see shortly, sins sometimes go to the third or fourth generation with their effect, and you may not see it in the second uh, generation. Here's another one. Sometimes our adopted daughter's angry outbursts surprise us We certainly never reared her to respond that way. And this is common because uh, we learn and grow and are trained by our interaction with people, such as our parents, but also deep within us are uh, genetic things that pass to us from our actual biological parents. And so this could be one of the reasons why it would you would wonder, why am I or why is this person responding this way? So let's look at how we can minister to this and be free from these things. And there are two ways to consider this today. One is, do I identify with any of these things and apply it to myself or to compassionately be committed to helping others work through this as well? Here is our key. In um, the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. And the second commandment deals with idolatry. Idolatry is when we worship or honor or depend upon or give our allegiance to something other than God himself. And when we do so, that opens the door for that Violation of relationship with God to pass from one generation to the next. Let's read about it together. You must not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Remember, thousands to everyone. So as we look at how this loving kindness comes to us, let's see what the problem is. It's, again, idol, worship, uh, and that's not just bowing down to a piece of wood or stone, but whatever we are honoring above God. Uh, The term iniquity is the idea of... It's a picture of a stream that's sort of meandering through a meadow, uh, not going very fast, just weaving and wandering, maybe even aimlessly. Iniquity is also then associated with what is weaving its way through the generations to touch each succeeding generation in some way. The term visits here is critical. In other words, it's not like God is going to say, I'll get you guys, I'll make your children suffer. That is no way the character of God. Rather, what this is saying, the term visit means it's going to come to you and seek to come in. It's the idea of administers. God administers the process by which things move from one generation to the next. It could be a blessing. In fact, many of the blessings that we have have come to us because of the faithfulness of people before us. Uh, I'd like you to meet my wife, Marion. She's with me here today, if you want to stand. Um, Marion has a, uh, a good inheritance of music ability, which she received through her father and training from her father. So that's a blessing that has come to her through the generations. We all have things like that. If you're mechanically oriented, for example, uh, you might say, hmm, my dad was good at mechanics and therefore I'm good at that. These are... Um, helpful ways of understanding this. So the concept here is God administers or oversees the process by which things pass from generation to generation. So depending on whatever you put in the pipe is what is going to come through, so to speak. So, on to the third and fourth generations. Um, It's... It's an ongoing impact, depending upon how people continue to interact with it in each generation. Now, before we feel too depressed about this, remember God's loving kindness. Let's look at that together. How do things transfer from one generation to the next? Uh, One of them might be genetics, as we've already implied. Uh, This happened to me. Uh, One Sunday evening before a church service started, I was sitting on the one side, so I, I saw somebody that I wanted to talk to about some church business, so I just simply walked across the front of the church, talked to the person, walked back, and sat down. After the service, a person who was a visitor... Uh, came up to me and said, are you Jonas Yoder's son? And I said, well, yes, I am. He's my father. He said, well, when I saw you walking across the front, I said, that man walks like Jonas Yoder. <laughs> now, I wasn't trying to walk like Jonas Yoder. I, wasn't, I didn't take lessons of how to walk like Jonas Yoder. I was just living out what was in my DNA. It turns out that this person, when he was in high school, uh, my father had uh, taken him along, he provided transportation for him to uh, school, and so that's why he knew my father so well. So it can be genetic. Uh, In fact, uh, I was thinking, watching Jonathan lead worship here, and I know his father. And just certain facial techniques and the way he talks, he looks just like his father. That's genetics. Modeling. Uh, My mother used to always say, I know Marion and I talk about things that our parents said, and uh, so that's one of the ways that we learn and act or follow through like our parents. Training. My, My grandmother taught me maybe was to crochet, or my grandfather taught me to garden, uh, and so forth. Uh, our interaction with people is one of the deep ways that things pass from one generation to the next. I was upset with, with my dad a lot over this issue, hmm. but now I'm just like him. Uh, the thing that we focus on emotionally the thing that we interact with emotionally, we have a tendency to become like that. So that's what bonds us to people as we uh, would either judge or admire them. Sometimes what is shaping our life is a vow that we've made, a vow being a commitment I decided and passionately declared I would never treat employees like my uncle did, but now I do. In other words, a vow is when we make a statement, I'm never going to do this, or I'm always going to be sure about this. It usually comes down to two things. One, self-determination. This is the way it's going to be. I am going to make sure. Or self-protection. I'm not going to be hurt that way again. Both of those have a problem because while it's important to defend ourselves and while it's important to have goals and purpose, when we are making a vow like this, we are taking control of our lives rather than being totally yielded to the Lordship of Christ. Rather, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to lead me to protect me, rather than I'm going to make sure of it all by myself. And then finally, the visitation or administration, as we explained before, how this passes on to us even as we're not aware of it. I can't explain it or seem to overcome it. I have this strong inner desire to... That is often a clue that there's something here passing from generation to generation. But, but, let's look to how we can overcome this. Notice again in the Great Commandment, let's say it together, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love and keep, and keep my commandments. Things pass from generation to generation to those who hate me. Uh, hate there meaning to love less than. So idolatry... Loving something more than God would be loving God less than. And it's often associated in the Bible with inheritance or things being passed on to a generation. And here we're saying, but showing loving kindness to those who love me, that is those who value, those who place me as more important in their life. So... Biblical leaders, as they have prayed for God's people, have come back to this phrase and this passage over and over. And we can too. Just like we know God is faithful to all generations, we know God administers this process, therefore we can come to him and anticipate loving kindness. For example, here's intercession by Nehemiah. And when we say intercession, we mean praying for something as if it were my own. I'm praying about that need in that other person as if it were my own. So, Nehemiah, when he heard of the breakdown of the walls of the city, the burning of the gates, the disregard, the disrepair, the damage to the city of Jerusalem, the city of God's purposes and reputation he mourned over this and notice it wasn't him that had um, been the cause of the breaking down of the walls but he identified with it as if it were him together I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven then I said "O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. Some versions would say, my fathers have sinned and I have sinned. Notice, he wasn't responsible, but he was embracing it as a way of ministering to uh, bring deliverance. And we know then God entrusted him with leadership to restore the city. So this is an example of noticing how you are one who keeps covenant of unfailing love or loving kindness. That is a covenant love that will show mercy over and over. So how then does this work? We come to God in our time based on the finished work of Christ where he paid the penalty for sin by shedding his blood. We know that Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sin. So we understand that gospel message. Notice how this forgiveness relates to our theme. God is just. God is holy. He cannot excuse, tolerate, or overlook sin. In his just nature, it must be judged for the effect that it has on the person and to redeem them from that. So what he has done is he gave the judgment and then he also provided the mercy through Christ so that our sins can be totally, justly dealt with and the sins of others can be totally, justly dealt with. So if we're dealing with something that has impacted us because of idolatry in some previous generation, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God functions above and beyond time. God is, from our perspective, back there. He is now. He is in our future, and we're changing toward that as well. So justice is done through Christ and that's the basis of our being freed from something that has occurred in the past. For example, communion is one of the ways in which that life of Christ impacts and releases us from sin. Um, As we partake of communion, we're partaking or receiving of his nature the one who is tabernacling or dwelling or keeping his home in us, the one who has set up a temple in our hearts. Secondly, we are embracing God's justice, as we've just seen, as he deals with the consequences of sin. And finally, this gives us a basis of ministering, healing, to things that have come to us from previous generations. So, notice the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, he met with his disciples later that day, and of course they were afraid with uh, the sudden appearance of Christ. But after allaying their fears, notice what he gives them the power and authority to do based on what he has done on the cross as they would minister to other people. Let's read it. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins, the sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Notice, that's real authority. We get to make a declaration that when we bring this sin before Father on the basis of what Christ has done, we can declare it forgiven. We can declare it forgiven because we release them because of what Jesus did. And we can declare them forgiven because Jesus and the Father forgive them on that basis. Secondly, we can retain. Um, Now, some versions say, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Uh, I would just appeal to you to recognize that's a distortion and not exactly what this passage is saying. The word retain here does not mean I'm going to hold them to what they've done to me and I'm not going to forgive them. That would not be something Jesus would commission us to do. That's not the nature of God to say, I'll let, um, I'll let you not forgive them. Rather, the word retain here comes from the idea when a conquering power came in and overtook a country and then established the new government in it, the soldiers would go from town to town, village to village, and establish the new government of the conquering country over the old government. So it's the idea of claiming or possessing something for a new government. Claiming or possessing something for a new government. So the point here is, first, we can minister forgiveness to release the guilt And then secondly, we can make a declaration of a new government, a new authority ruling in that person's life instead of the sin that was there before. So we can declare sins forgiven and we can declare a new leadership, a new government ruling in their life. That would be, of course, the power of the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus. So... Let's look at our lives. Again, why don't we say this together for Retain? To conquer and secure possession under a new government. Together? To conquer and secure for possession under a new government. So, what about us? What about your family tree? Uh, The thought here is, if you place yourself in the box at the bottom, you can then look backward through the generations of the names of parents and grandparents and so forth. And the point here would be if there's a certain trait that we would see in our lives, have we seen or have record of this being in a previous generation? Uh, Marion did a Bible study once. Um, because she noticed in reading through uh, Genesis that the word deception kept coming up, deception, deceived. And you can see there, from Abram's father, down through the generations, except uh, until you come to Joseph, you can see deception in every generation, at every one of these levels. And so that was a... Sin of deceiving that was going on in that family line. Joseph had a different approach, and rather than deceiving, he uh, you, you don't see a record of that afterwards in the biblical accounts. So how do you minister this? First of all, if there's a persistent sin or problem that is hard to overcome, we would acknowledge it. We would then encourage the person to ask God to forgive themselves for participating in that, to ask God to forgive the person or persons in previous generations for their involvement of that, and asked, we forgive them, we ask God to forgive them. Now, that raises a question, does that mean they're released from their responsibility? My understanding would be, insofar as the sin visiting or being administered to my generation, when I exercise forgiveness and when I declare forgiveness that God has done for them, insofar as the effect of that coming to my generation, it cleanses that. They have their own responsibility before God for their life and their choices. But insofar as it affecting me and visiting me, it it loses its authority and power. Secondly, then after doing that, retain it. That is, declare the power, anointing, and grace of God to rule in my heart in place of that. Um, I once uh, was teaching on this, and then after class, uh, a lady came to me and said, uh, I'm dealing with something. And so we looked at it, and she forgave um, people in her previous generation for it. She also prayed for her children and she prayed for her sister uh, because the, she saw the same, her sister dealing with the same problem. The next day, her sister, who lives in Florida, and we were praying in Pennsylvania, her sister called her and says, I don't know what happened to me, but I feel so different. It's like a weight has lifted off of me, and I feel so much more spiritually alive. That's the power of this because it's a spiritual reality that we can have confidence that when we pray for our family tree, God does hear and God does deliver. So then declare the new government of the Holy Spirit over that. I trust as you are meeting in small groups and uh, would have further questions, you can uh, do so with the leaders here in the congregation. But let's pray. Father, we've quickly looked at this and we've made a lot of declarations here of your truth. We entrust you by your Holy Spirit to bring to mind those things that we recognize have come to us from previous generations We anticipate exchanging them for what Christ did on the cross and releasing those who have um, been the source of that visitation. At the same time, we thank you for your Holy Spirit to prompt, guide, correct, protect, and nurture us in the new ways, the fullness of Christ Himself. Thank you for protecting our hearts and minds from um, any distortion of this truth, and at the same time, bless us with the questions that will lead us to the answers you have for us. We love you, we receive your loving kindness, and we do so through the price that was been paid through Christ on the cross. Amen.